episode 222 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log, with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. The Ground School app contains knowledge and skill videos. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. Hi, my name is Nikki Mockover. I'm a corporate pilot flying a Pilatus PC-12 and a Gulfstream G550 in LA. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Today's podcast is with fellow corporate pilot, although he did leave us for a hot minute to go try the airlines until he realized that this side is just way better. But we're talking with Nick. You can find him on Instagram under Jazz Pilot. And he just talks about it all, man. He gets really real about trying the airlines and really giving it a fair shot. But a couple tours through hurricanes and uh, some other experiences made him realize that corporate is the way to be. And and I'm happy he found that because a lot of people will sit there and be unhappy in the airlines uh, and lose their love of flying. But he made the tough choice to come back and he had a good situation. And he's currently flying PC-12s and Goldstreams, which is pretty awesome. Uh, would love to be back in the PC-12 if, if the money was right, of course. <laughs> but Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was a lot of fun talking with Nick. Uh, we are currently in the process of moving. I am on my 35 days off. Yes, it's amazing. 35 days off. I have back-to-back vacations. Christina just graduated from medical school. She is officially a doctor and she is starting her residency in North Carolina. We're going to a wedding in Mexico in a couple days and I'll be recording my next intro from there. Sorry, Kevin, who's the editor. <laughs> Appreciate you. Uh, but we are so much going on right now. It, it's insane. I feel like ever since this year kind of kicked off, it's been just a trying to survive. We'll get the coffee, uh, steep packets coming soon. We're going to wait till we move to put another order in for those. I know I've had a lot of messages about that, but it will be coming back. We're not giving up a pilot's coffee. And hopefully once we get moved and settled, it'll, it'll take off and we'll do even more for it. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your patience. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So without any further ado, here's Nick. Nick, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Good to be here. I'm pumped to have you on, man. It, it's always fun to talk with a fellow corporate pilot. And your story, just in the very brief amount of what I know, is going to be very interesting because you attempted to go the airline route. You tried hard and uh, you came back to the corporate side. So it's just another reason that corporate's better than any other kind of flying. Well, I was always a fan of saying there's a job for everyone in aviation, right? Just because someone tells you to go the airlines and because they're throwing a lot of money at people doesn't mean it's the right thing for you. So, uh, that's kind of what I was dealing with. I was, I'm glad I went, you know, I, I, I threw away an incredible part 91 global job <laughs> that I was lucky to have. I had a schedule for the whole year, very rare in corporate, right? Unless you're flying fractionals like yourself, but I had a schedule for the whole year planned out, uh, for pilot rotation plus contract pilots. So I was pretty and business class travel wherever the plane was. I just meet it for two weeks if we had a trip. And, um, I, everyone was telling me to go to the airlines and, you know, I succumbed to the pressure and look what they offer is great. A schedule, a uh, quality of life eventually. And, uh, just as easy. 
I mean, you show up, make sure, make sure there's enough gas, and then you go. It's, it's amazing. But you do go no matter what. Uh, I got to fly through t- two hurricanes um, in my brief stint. Um, uh, glad I tried it, but uh, I was just, I wasn't happy. Uh, I was also commuting, which also makes it difficult. But And it was the middle of COVID, which made it also uh, <laughs> so terrible an interesting timing. experience. Yeah, I was just ready to be furloughed at any moment. Uh, luckily, the airline I was at didn't furlough anyone. Um, I did voluntarily put in an offer to furlough myself because I knew I had a more bigger chance to get a job uh, out of it, but they ended up mitigating that, which is great. Um, but yeah, I was found myself doing the same thing every day. Um, I found myself you know, wondering if I'm doing this, I might as well have a nine to five and stay home because it was just kind of boring. I was used to flying this family on their bucket list adventures all over the world and going from that to like, you know, Vegas to Philly just kind of ruined the vibe for me. Um, and I made a decision that I was just, I, I knew I wasn't happy. And to me, what comes first is, is being happy and I had to look deep within myself to be like, Hey, I don't think this is for me. I, I love how easy it was. I love the ability to jump seat like that for me is outstanding. If I could go back, go back, that's like all I would use it for. Like I would drop the schedule to zero just to be able to hop on any plane. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just like, man, this isn't working out. A friend of mine happened to buy a Gulfstream. So I was like, well, <laughs> this is the only person hiring in the middle of COVID. Um, and that Gulfstream ended up getting super delayed uh, with a mixture of issues that I don't really need to get into. But I ended up flying his Pilatus instead for almost a year and a half or two years now I'm still flying it. I, I, I do enjoy it a lot. Um, it comes with its share of crazy adventures like me throwing my back out, uh, three weeks ago because I was lo- loading dirt bikes onto it. Um, Oh, the PC 12, man. Gotta love it. Then can fit anything. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. We've just scratched the surface on the, you know, what it's capable of doing. I think we're now going to get more into some cool stuff, which will be exciting. Um, so that's a brief synopsis of of my career, I guess. I, I I knew I always I grew up in Van Nuys, which is if you don't know the I guess the busiest private jet airport in the world, um, right under the departure path, and they'd always blast off over my house, and I was like, man, I I love those. Really, I mean, that was back in my day. Those were loud planes. Those were you know G twos and you know, classic Learjet 20 series that are just insanely loud. And they were over my house at a thousand feet or less. And it was just incredible. No one in my family flies. They all thought I was crazy. Um, but I knew I had to fly private jets. So I just like, I was a, a, a super flight sim nerd for a while. Um, yeah, major VATS and bro, air traffic controller, like you name it. <laughs> um, I, you know, it actually did help a lot in terms of my training. Um, glad I did it. Made a lot of awesome friends, and now they're all controllers or pilots mostly. Um, it's been a wild ride. So, yeah, through that, I, I kind of joined this 
squadron here in Van Nuys. That was if you were that was in high school. If you, if you're 14 to 21, they it was 50 bucks an hour for a 172 wet, which is an insane deal. Even that was like, yeah, that was like 2000 what, 2007 ish. Um, the instructors were all volunteers. It was this great organization it's still around. It's called Kitty Hawk Squadron Three. No one really knows about it. Uh, it's sponsored by like an Explorer Squadron slash Optimist Club. I don't know what that even is, but uh, I just knew it saved me a bunch of money because flying ain't cheap. Um, so if you're in LA, look them up. They're out of Van Nuys. The plane's based in Whiteman. I still see it whenever I fly my RV for fun. Um, but that kind of got me started. I did the math. It saved me about $30,000. <laughs> um, yeah. So their deal is they only go to private. Um, and once you get your license, you, you can only fly the plane for currency. So they don't put wear and tear as much wear and tear in it. They only use it for students. So once you're out, you're out. Um, so I was like, okay, great. I'm going to take my sweet time. So instead of, you know, doing my 40 hours and getting out, I was like, I'm going to build some time. So I think I took my license test at like 110 hours. <laughs> they forced um, you to take it. They're like, all right, man, you got to take it by now. We all know right, what you're doing. Come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I was in high school too. So a lot of other things going on. Um, so, but it was cool. I was one of those nerds that was, you know, my mom had to drive me to the airport. I didn't have my driver's license, but I could fly solo. So I just ripped the pattern. Um, it was definitely insane thinking about it now. And I've gotten so many opportunities from them and other people. Um, if you're looking to learn to fly, there's scholarships out there. You just got to find them. For me, it was NGPA that came through. Um, I've been a member for almost 10 years now-ish. Um, what kind of scholarships and, are, what kind of scholarships <clears throat> did they offer as well? Do they offer for full flight training or is it just like a couple thousand dollars here and there? Like this um, helps. It's different every year. When I was a young and it was, uh, it wasn't as robust as it is now. I think this year they announced that they have like $300,000 worth of scholarships. So I'm sure there's a full, full one somewhere in there, but it goes, I think it ranges from 3000 to 10,000. The last runs, I don't know what this year is, but it's, I mean, it's amazing. And the networking, it, it comes with is what's probably most important as you probably know in this industry, it doesn't matter, you know, <laughs> you're going to run into the same people everywhere. So you better try to be nice. Um, something I struggle with. Just, but, <laughs> Every, yeah. but you're right though everywhere like literally if you know like, I mean point in case right now you know someone that was buying a Gulfstream like it's all about connections and how you're gonna go kind of get the job that you want and I always say it's whether you are just that young kid that's at the airport like that actually goes a long way people will remember you and if you can talk to them and just kind of learn from them it can really help out down the road you never know who you're gonna meet when I was doing aerial survey, we landed this random airport in the middle of nowhere, and the dude was the chief pilot for SkyWest. And I was like, uh, why are you here? So you literally never know where you meet someone. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Yeah, same with this person I'm working for. I'm, I met them when I was 16, ran up to them at the airport, and was like, oh, my God, what a cool plane you have. Um, build it. I know now I'm, you know, uh, helping manage the plane, this plane, and six others <laughs> um yeah it's cool so i'm working on hopefully getting access to all these plans because that's kind of like the the nice part of this job is sometimes i get to, to take the pilatus to air shows with some friends or 
Um, it's pretty easy for now. So we'll see how it goes. Um, how old were you when you were actually like, I know you look up in the air and you see a plane and you're like, yeah, I want to fly. But how old were you when you really like realized that's what you wanted to do? I mean, I feel like always, but moved to Van Nuys when I was like six. So I think that's kind of when it solidified. I remember writing about how I wanted to be a pilot when I was like seven or eight in like second grade. <laughs> um, it was, it's always been there. And, uh, it's kind of, yeah, I still love flying. That's the other thing I found in the airlines, not to bash too much, but everyone I flew with for the most part was just kind of miserable and just showing up to work. And I get it. That's what happens. Flying becomes work for most of us. And it's something that, you know, you have to deal with if you love flying, right? How do you separate it, work from fun? Um, and a few of us are lucky to be able to have fun at work. Um, but I found the people I was flying with didn't really enjoy it. They didn't really have anything exciting to say about it. And I was like, man, you know, I was, I was clocking in for 37 years. Um, and, and I was like, is this really what's going to happen to me? I was like, I don't, I don't know if that would ever happen. You know, I, I fly for fun a lot. I've got an RV4 that I love to blast around. Um, and I was just, I, I kind of felt that love draining, um, just from the mix of flying during COVID and just airline stuff in general. And I just felt it wasn't for me. And I was like, you know, it came to this point where I had to make a decision and I chose to do what I love because I don't know, I might not have as, you know, robust of a 401k, but does it matter if, you know, right. And I've been, I mean, I was home. I've never been home as much <laughs> as I have the last year and a half or two years since I started working for this person, um, which is also a weird thing for me. I was home almost every night for 2021, which like blew my mind. I got a dog, like, <laughs> she's great. And now I'm starting to leave again. And she's like, where are you going? Yeah, like, what the heck? I didn't um, sign up for this crap. What the heck, dude? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I've been lucky and, you know, I, I, I hate saying it because whenever, when I was coming up in aviation, everyone was always like, oh, you got to be at the right place at the right time. And I hate to say it, but that worked, you know, that's what exactly what it was for me. But besides saying that, my advice for other people would be just to meet as many people as you can and, and not necessarily take what they say as, as gospel, right? If, if, if you find something that you love, do it. It doesn't matter if it's flying bush planes in Alaska, if you're flying like fish spotting missions off the, you know, if you're a hundred miles off the coast in Cetabria wondering, you know, if you're going to die at any moment once the engine quits. Hey, or, I know who that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I miss, I miss him, his yeah. social media presence. I know. It's, and, uh, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Social media sucks too. Let me, uh, touch on that too. I mean, <laughs> man, it's, it's difficult to see all the funniest people I've, I've known in aviation just get destroyed. So careful what you post if your employee doesn't like it. Um, I'm fortunate that the person I work for, it's like, oh yeah, I love your Instagram. Post whatever you want. Um, <laughs> so um, that's a, a weird thing with private aviation. So my advice 
to you kids listening today is, hey, do what you love. You know, it doesn't have to be the normal route. And hey, if you get a chance to pay it forward, do it. So now I'm kind of trying to, whenever I see someone at the airport who looks like, hey, they're they're new. I'm like, hey, how you doing? I always try to say hi. I always try to be like, hey, it's a lot of fun. Come fly in my RV. Um, I try to make it as fun as possible because I see less and less people my age. You know, I mean, I'm getting old now. I just turned 30 not too long. I guess it's getting long ago, almost six months ago. Um, but we need more young people. So I'm trying to do whatever I can to foster the young aviation happenings in Southern California. And we, we've got a pretty great group of people out here. I was going to say, Southern uh, California probably has the best out of anyone, I feel like. Um, whether it's Van Nuys or like the Camarillo squad, like I feel like they're doing a really good job of getting more aviators and interest in aviation. Yeah, I think they're doing a great job. And yeah, it's my milk run. I go to Camarillo like every week. <laughs> best airport restaurant probably ever. We've taken the jet to Camarillo a couple of times, but I've never gotten to go to the restaurant yet. So one day. Uh, yeah. If you do, you let me know. I will. We, we, we know people. We don't have to wait. You know, if you let the mafia boss. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, if, I love it. You like know you said, Miles, it's all about who you know, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not me. It's Miles. If you know Miles Malone, he's the king of Camarillo. Anywhere he goes, you don't have to wait. His, he, like, he has the hangar that has all the pictures in it, right? Or the photo frames? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the nicest traveler That's awesome. in the world. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll make a, a trip out west one time to see everyone out there because I've talked to pretty much all of them on Instagram, but never actually met any of them. <laughs> Maybe I think Max is the only one that I know, and he's moving to San Diego, so he's not even a real Camarillo guy anymore. <laughs> oh, well, what are you going to do? Right? Um, so here's an interesting kind of question for you about the airlines. When was it the exact moment that you realized this wasn't for you? Was it like first day on IOE? You're like, oh, this sucks. What did I do? Or was it like a year in? Or when was the exact moment you knew you couldn't do that anymore? Um, I didn't even stay a year. Honestly, I only flew two months. Um, I So I, I'd say it kind of hit me halfway through through IOE. I was like, flying with the people that were less than favorable um she got me kind of thinking about it um covid was difficult on the airlines as you can imagine schedule changed drastically um nothing was open uh at both at the airports or like when you got to the layover um so it's kind of a combination of all those things i knew it you know some of it was uh temporary but Honestly, I had a feeling from the get-go. <laughs> I, I wanted to do it to prove to myself that I, I could do it if I wanted to. Because one that's one thing I really loved about the airlines is the training. The 121 training and standardization is incredible because, um, you know, obviously it's different for you and me. But when you fly with the, the same people over and over, um, there's a... You kind of get into some habits that I don't think has happened at this department, but at my last department where you just get comfortable with each other and you start missing stuff. And standardization kind of goes by the wayside. And I think that's something that a lot of large management companies and corporate flight departments are working on now is standardization. 
But that's what I loved about the airlines. You could fly with anyone and it was just basically the same every time. Yeah. And um, that's a good point. Cause I fly, whenever I fly with one of my really good friends that I have at the company, I, we always like brief each other. It's like, all right, we're really good friends. We have to make sure we're on our A game because we could just be joking around and miss something. But it's like, we just really have to be on top of our game and make sure we follow every SOP because you're good friends and you just know the other person's going to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and the training was rigorous to say the least. I mean, it was a lot of work and I'm glad I did it. I, I wouldn't trade anything. You know, I learned so much. And I, I think I grew as a pilot, definitely, and as a person. Um, but hey, you know, I figured out it wasn't for me, and I'm glad I did it at that point instead of, you know, can you imagine sitting somewhere for 20 years and you know, having a quarter life or midlife <laughs> crisis? Quarter life, that's gone now, Nick. No more quarter life for you. Third life, the quarter life, yeah. Um, <laughs> So I was just like, man, I could see myself being miserable in 10 years. So, um, well, it's trying true, this thing out because everyone kind of preaches. I mean, I th- feel like it's changing a little bit, but everyone preaches that you're not really like 121 is the way to go. And you're everyone always probably asks you when you're flying a goal, the global, you're like, when are you going 121? When are you going 121? I get it all the time. When are you going to the majors? It's like, I'm not like, I'm happy where I am. And they look at you like you're an idiot. It's like, but why wouldn't you want to come here? It's the best job in the world as they complain about their job 24 <laughs> seven. Right. Oh, so, yeah, don't give me a story about that. But I mean, that's what we're best at as pilots, as true professionals. You know, you're not a true professional pilot until you start complaining about both your your work life and your family life to strangers. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I was I was spending like, you know, a week in Bora Bora here, you know, Europe every other month for a week or two. I was going, you know, and everything's paid for, you know, no limit on my expense account i could put it all on my own personal cards got reimbursed i still i'm still living off those points from like over two years ago um so yeah people think it's the best in the game because that's all they know but hey if you're lucky enough to have the experience we've had and enjoy it and find something you enjoy why not do it and you know screw everyone else because at the end of the day it's your life and you live it how you want to live it and that's the beauty of life right you find your happiness and you settle and make it work for you. And no matter what that means, right? Absolutely. And I think corporate and fractionals are only going to keep getting better. The pay is going to keep getting better. The training for, I, I agree with you, uh, the training at some places isn't very good. And it is, it can be a little bit cowboyish, but I, I know for a fact the fractionals are like ditching that and they're full 121 rated training. Everything about it is all 121 training. So I know that they're all getting away from all those kind of old stereotypes and the pay just keeps getting better and better and the lifestyle keeps improving. It's, I mean, there are a lot of ones, ones where you're still on call 24 seven, but if more and more are opening up, you're like, all right, well, we're going to have to pay more and we're going to have to treat them better. So it's only a matter of time before more people find it and want to come over to our side. Yeah, honestly, it's amazing. The things I'm hearing from friends is they are maturing in their careers. You know, I've got a lot of friends going to the, long range jets now and the pays insane now you don't can find anyone i mean I, we just hired a third pilot on our 550 and that search took like six months <laughs> because you know no one wants to do everyone's like well you got to pay this insane amount of money i'm like okay <laughs> i mean it's not my money right so what does it matter um it's good 
it's, it's only going up, like you said. And, and I think, um, I had something else to say, but I forgot it. No, <laughs> Probably not important, right? <laughs> no, it's all um, good. Are you, so you said the G550 is in the, in the works. You're going to go get your type soon or have you already been typed? I was typed almost a year ago. I've, I've done a handful of trips. Uh, it's an interesting situation. Um, but yeah, it came online around Thanksgiving. So that was about six months, just over six months ago now. Ish. Yeah. Six months. And, um, it does do some charter work. However, I don't really fly those trips because I have to be available for the Pilatus. Um, so, so far that's kind of worked in my favor. Uh, generally in the corporate world, charter stuff isn't ideal because, uh, as a corporate pilot, your job is managing expectations. And when you fly different people all the time, I guess, as you probably know, um, expectations change and it's your job to kind of exceed them for every client. And it's difficult, especially if you don't know them. Um, whereas if you fly strictly 91 or owner operations, you know exactly what they want. You know exactly what they're going to need and what, what makes them happy. So it's a lot easier to manage expectations there. So I've been lucky in that sense for now. Um, I think I'm going to hopefully take a trip one of these days. I mean, it, I love the Pilates, but honestly, I was hired on the Coldstream, so I kind of want to do. We got some awesome trips coming up in the next couple months anyway, just for the owner. So that's kind of coming along at this point. That's good. Um, and I like how you were yeah. talking about managing expectations because you fly, especially in charter or fractional and that kind of side, you fly so many different people. You really have to understand what each person wants without talking to them about it. Like got to read body language. You got to have a good sense of understanding of how they're feeling. Are they happy? Are they sad? Do they want to talk? Do they not want to talk? It's like, you really need to know where you stand and how to make sure that they are happy at all times. Cause you could have just flown the nicest person in the world. And then you fly a business person that doesn't want to talk at all. And you just got to be like, he's not a mean person or anything. It's just his expectations are take me from point A to point B, say hi, give me a safety brief and I'm going to leave. That's it. Make sure my cars are, my food's here, you know? And that's perfectly fine. And that happens every once in a while or someone wants to come up to the cockpit and stand behind you for a four hour flight and talk to you for four hours. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of variation and it's your job to make it seamless, which is also kind of why I do love corporate flying because it's a little more of a workload. It's a little more of a, you have to think you have to be on your feet, you know, think on your feet and be ready to accept any challenge. Um, you have to, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I was in Tahiti, Bora Bora, and it was Easter weekend. And I, I don't know if you've been to Tahiti or Bora Bora, but it's basically an incredible combination of both island culture and French culture. Um, and bring bring a holiday like Easter to the mix, nothing's open. And there's no catering at the airport, which is food. Um, for you unseasoned ones out there. <laughs> um, and so I'm like riding around with a flight attendant, like, what are we going to do? We went to this one awesome restaurant. So we're like, Hey, let's just hit them up. Usually restaurants or hotel restaurants are, are the way to go when you're in a, in a jam. 
and somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Um, so we go to this restaurant owner and we're begging them. We're like, Hey, we'll pay whatever you want to, to make, <laughs> make whatever you want. Basically we just need food. Cause we have, you know, a 10 hours or I guess we really had a, like a 25 hour day. Um, we had a crew swap. Um, yeah, it was, it was, we needed food basically. Um, and they're like, no, 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 we can't do it. We can't do it. It's Easter. No one's here. No one's here. And they, they, they don't care. They don't even like, they don't want to make a bunch of money. Like I was pretty clear about how we'll pay whatever it costs. We just want so peanut butter we, and jellies. Like it, whatever you give me an apple, 25 apples, just yeah. make something. So, we're, so finally, so this, this account was based in Peru. So I was, the flight attendant came up with this plan. He was like, I'm going to tell them it's the president of Peru is our client. And I was like, Oh my God, you're crazy. And he's like, look, I wasn't going to tell you this, but our client is the president of Peru. It's very private. It's important and imperative for international relations for you to make this meal and we'll pay handsomely, whatever you want. And immediately the owner of the restaurant, like changed their, 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 their stance almost. And we're receptive for once. And they're like, okay, I think we can make it work. (laughs) So it was almost that it, it's just an example of the weird things you got to come up with to get the job done. You're always hustling and trying to like make it work and we made it work and the boss was happy and off we went. So I, I just love challenges like that. You know, I've been all over the world and lucky to do so at my relative young age. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just amazing to me to, to have that opportunity. So, and that, that workload makes me happy. You know, I'm overseeing a lot of things and helping flight plan, et cetera. So it's a little more involved. I feel like, and and, and you feel like you're actually making a difference, which is weird. I guess you can make a difference too, arguably as an airline pilot. Yeah. You're bringing hundreds of people to home, to their loved ones, to work. You know, you're literally making the world go around. Um, but sometimes you don't really see it. You know, you, you might get those, you know, social media posts from Southwest once in a while that say, Oh my God, look how, you know, this couple met here and now they got had a wedding on board a Southwest flight. Which, what is up with those people? <laughs> anyway, if you propose to me that. and we get married on a Southwest flight, I want you to know I'm get, <laughs> I'm opening the emergency exit and I'm getting out. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, I feel like we're <laughs> directly responsible, you know, to, for people's happiness and they will directly come to you and say, Hey, thank you. Or um, what the heck, dude, this is the worst fight of my life. And it's all your fault. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, regardless of where you work, I feel like aviation attracts some crazy, interesting circumstances, whether you're an airline pilot or not, or a corporate pilot, what, what have you, you there's crazy people out there and that's part of the fun of the job is uh, watching the show yeah let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor raa you work hard flying the line to build financial security for your family and yourself however to prepare properly for retirement you need more than hard work having a co-pilot to help guide your route can be the difference between struggling through retirement and living comfortably after your final landing not sure where to start raa can help Learn more about RAA's commitment to the aviation community and what it's like meeting with one of their specialized advisors. Founded by pilots for pilots and with four decades of financial planning and investment management experience, 
RAA is intimately familiar with unique benefits, risks, and career timelines that pilots face. Whether you're early in your career as a pilot or you spent years flying the line, RAA is here to help you navigate your financial journey from takeoff to touchdown. For more pilot-specific planning tips, go to raa.com slash pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. You talk, talked a little bit about kind of the different workloads that you have. Like, in was the airline experience truly a turn left, shut the door, take off experience, or was it at all anymore? Did you try to make it more hands on with your background and kind of your want to be involved and your want to kind of make a difference? Or were you just, did you fully just turn left, shut the door, and see it? Um, I really wanted to, to make it a special place for me, but I found that it was difficult. I was at an airline where the, you know, the flight attendants are on a separate line than you. Um, even some of those flight attendants were all on different lines. So they change every flight. You don't ever stay at the same hotel as them. You're basically just stuck with the uh, captain, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. I flew with some good people too. Uh, but uh, yeah, it ended up being difficult to foster like a, a good crew environment, I feel like, with that. You know, because I've, I've got friends that work at the airlines and, and they love it. You know, they all go out together as a crew and they make it work. But I, I wasn't able to make that happen. Um, I. What was part of your question was. The difference in like workloads and were you able to kind of. Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a good example of this was when I was on IOE. Um literally launching into a hurricane and you know we talked about it i was like hey (laughs) i'm brand new i know something but not a lot (laughs) and i was like is this a good idea and i was like yeah yeah we'll be fine we'll be fine flight plan shows up it's printed double-sided the captain's like absolutely not and so he sends it back gate agent comes back with another one that's printed double-sided again. We go through this like five times, I think, delays us 45 minutes. We, we'd already briefed and been like, hey, if we're delayed anything more than half an hour, we should probably call it and, you know, cancel the flight or at least wait. Um, and so 45 minutes passed, clearly after that for time. double-sided release. Yeah, for uh, the guy wanted it all single-sided. And that basically put us right into so we we're going into LaGuardia, which is the worst airport in the world and uh we're at number one so going from florida and they give you that routing that's like way west you know the worst routing in the world um that the comes in like over, over nashville like and like cleveland, cleveland. yeah that's <laughs> yeah. the worst um and so he's like oh let's just go and you know hazardous attitude right there right get the itis uh, i'm trying to finish oe so i'm like okay whatever but honestly the dude i'm flying with is miserable and i didn't want to be there and i was like okay whatever kind of resign resignation you know hazardous attitude uh shouldn't have gone but i learned a lot right that was my first hurricane i flew into at the airlines how was the ride so was terrible in, like it was actually decent, but the whole radar was red. I've never seen anything like it. It was incredible because you know, those corporate pilots were, you know, generally can talk to your clients and be like, hey, you know, weather's getting bad. Let's leave a couple hours early in the room. More or less just like, great. Or they 
go the next day. You know, it's it's a lot easier. And then you could fly above all the weather, which is the other thing uh, I took for granted, right? You're not in a go deviating and stuff. And you're just above it. It doesn't matter. Direct. Let's go. <laughs> so we get over, like, our diversion was Pittsburgh. And we're getting over Pittsburgh. We're, we're number one in line. No one's gone ahead. And the, the, the store, it's downgraded to, like, a tropical storm. But it's it's still pretty intense. Um and we're number one in line. They're like, hey, you know, it's right at minimums. Do you want to try it? And uh it's like, yeah, okay. So we go through we basically navigate through this just extremely red radar display. <laughs> and uh it was not bad, but it was just a, the most rain I've ever seen. And uh can't see the airport, shooting ILS go miss. Um, and it's just below men's and we're like, okay, we got to get out of here. Our diversion was Pittsburgh, but then they were like, okay, uh, we don't want to fly back through the storm that we just flew through. So why don't we go, you know, more towards Boston, Boston just dips under men's and the guy's like freaking out. He's like, well, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, there's a hundred airports here. I was like, have you been to Bradley? He's like, <laughs> oh yeah, good idea. <laughs> oh man. And this is an yeah, IOE guy too, right? This is an Iowa. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I don't want to be too, too rude. But, no, we won't. Um, I know what you mean. We had a general disagreement of many things. <laughs> um, but the dispatcher I was working with was great. I was like, hey, we're going to Bradley. And it's a, you know, it sucks to divert to an airport that doesn't have service for your airline because then you have to basically go to the FBO. They have to get stairs and it, it takes 100 years. But this is my story about, you know, control, right? So there's, as a pilot, you know, your operational control basically extends to the the diversion. You know, that's when you have operational control of a flight, more or less. And so, yeah, we diverted to Bradley. It was a uh, an airport airline service, so it was easy. Some people got off, some stayed, whatever. And we went to LaGuardia and we canceled. And we had to get a police escort out of the terminal because people were riding. And... um then I waited three and a half hours for a, a hotel assignment. And the only reason we got it was because I called the training people to do it. After three hours, I was like, okay. <laughs> Cause so that's the thing with the airlines, someone else deals with all the problems, but when stuff is the fan, um, there's a lot of things going wrong and there's just a handful of people managing it all. So you, you wait on hold for hours and just to get someone to say like, okay, yeah, we'll get to it. And then they don't, do anything. Um, so in, in that moment, I felt powerless. Like you can't just go book a hotel and go, right. They have to do it all for you. Flight attendants got it taken care of. Um, but, uh, we waited three hours and then I was like, you know, I'm just going to call the training people. And they're like, Oh yeah, we got your hotel. Here you go. And it, and that, that like one little instance of, you know, that little bit of control I had over the situation. Cause I was still in training probably saved me hours of frustration and garbage um so that was at that point i'd say i, I kind of realized i was like man you know i miss being able to make my own hotel reservations you know ride arrangements whatever it's always ready when you get there you just shut the plane off and go um so that's the thing about the airlines i feel like 80 85 of the time it's it's easy and then that's why they pay the big bucks, right? You you cancel, you know, irregular operations. And um, 
you have to deal with a lot of bureaucratic garbage. I think one thing that would drive me really nuts about the airlines would be, like you said, when we're in corporate or a fractional, whatever, when you're flying a private jet, you're over the weather. But two, you can literally land at any airport, you know, like you don't have to worry about stairs. You don't have to worry about uh, services like your airline doesn't have to have any kind of relation there at all. It's like when shit hits the fan and you need to land somewhere, you have all your options available. As long as a plane can can do the performance numbers for that airport, you can land there. So if you're in a pinch, you have so many outs. But I mean, in the airlines, you could eventually land wherever you want to if you're really in a pinch. But it's a lot more difficult like you're talking about. Yeah, you know, you got to think about, okay, if we cancel here, how are they going to get someone else here? You know, how how are the people going to get out of here? It's a lot more to think about. And then, you know, the blessing of flying into small airports. I mean, oh my God, you don't have to really, I mean, unless it's Teterboro, <laughs> you don't have to wait too long. You just go. Um, so that's, I mean, things you don't even think about to make it easy way easier you're flying into smaller airports and the the luxury that that is oh my god thank you america for that right we we have this incredible infrastructure of airports that some government is paying for <laughs> um, which is crazy because it doesn't exist anywhere else in the world every, every other place more or less it's it's a big airport you have to fly into and all the stuff that goes into that like having Find a plane based out of Lima, Peru that's not wired in any way for corporate aviation. You know, over the years we were there, kind of made it work, but man, it was difficult. And as a corporate operation, you have lost priority. They don't care about you. No, they don't, um, which is crazy. It's insane. <laughs> Airlines get everything. It's wild. Yeah. We, we had a trip from Lima to China, and China has slots and they're like insane slots if you miss it you might not go for days um and so we show up to the airplane we have like three or four crew swaps maybe even um and there's no stand for us and i'm like okay this is another like (laughs) crazy thing you gotta do (laughs) to make it work so i'm like what do you mean there's no stand and they're like there's no stands available and i'm like how does that even happen so (laughs) All right. We were fortunate enough to have a director of maintenance who was from the area. And let's just say he's very charismatic. And he basically just tore this, this like ops person, a new, new anus. I was like, I don't know if you, you know who we work for, but this company manages, you know, hundreds of planes all over the world. And the person we fly for has the ability to make your life a living hell. He just like came up with all this on the spot. Um, basically making this ops person literally shake. Um, and so he was like, we better get this stand because if we don't, there's going to be, there's going to be consequences. And that made them just be like, Oh yeah, yeah. There's a stand for you. Just like weird South America stuff. There's so much South America stuff. Don't even get me started on that. It was crazy, but it it was fun. Uh, Lots of (laughs) unique experiences. Um, I was just talking to some dude that flies a global down there too just amazing the stuff that we see as normal and after leaving for a bit just seeing it kind of from the outside and being like we dealt with a lot of crazy stuff we had like the only 
like semi-private hangar space in existence. And then we got kicked out of that. So we had to like find, oh, where are we going to park at this airport, which has no parking? Made it work. It was crazy. I mean, this is just an example of all the interesting challenges you have to deal with um, as a corporate pilot. And you better make it work because no expectation. Well, yeah. Right, right. No, it's not really an option, but it is interesting also. Something I tell a lot of people is as a pilot, when you find these really wealthy individuals, you're basically the only person in their life that can tell them no. They're used to saying, being told yes all the time. You know, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes. You know, whatever your gender identity may be. Um, and, you know, we show up and we're like, hey, can't do it. Let's say the weather's bad or you're in Teterboro and there's a five hour edict time delay. Can't go. And you have to take it like a champ because these people aren't used to that. So it's, I think one of the many challenges of the job is saying that eloquently enough to keep your job. I mean, I, I've been lucky to work for people that understand safety and all that, but I've heard all kinds of stories of people who get canned for bad landings and, you know, delays. <laughs> um, so there's, it runs the gamut of uh, interesting people to work for. So hopefully, as if you become a corporate pilot, you find someone um, relaxed enough. You know, generally, if you get to that position, you have to be someone smart. So. Unless it's DJ Khaled. He doesn't like he doesn't like weather. Let me tell you about DJ Khaled. No, I, I shouldn't say too much, but uh, he only flies on globals and he is has a phobia of of bad weather and watching him cope with that. There's a bunch of stuff on Instagram of it. It's so funny. It's so funny. If you get a chance to highly recommend looking those videos up. I think it's on one of those meme pages. I'll have to check them out. I've never heard of that before. So I have to look that into that. That's hilarious. Yeah, doodles spend like 45 minutes getting on the airplane, you know, videoing everything coming out of this fancy car. And then he'll get on and just be deathly afraid of flying. And you got to deal with that. Yeah, I we I haven't flown too many like big celebrity personalities with, uh, I guess, the plane I fly. Maybe we just don't have those accounts on that plane. But um, there is definitely kind of a, it, you, it just is a different vibe when you're flying with someone like that. You know, it's like, I don't know if uh, the, the crew that comes with it and, and crew, I mean like the, the posse of people around everything or what it is, but there's definitely, uh, it can be a little bit interesting for sure. Yeah. My, my old client in Peru, the wife was uh, definitely afraid of turbulence. And the second we hit like a bump, the flight, flight didn't just like run up. How much longer? And I just like, I was like, look outside, dude. Can you see how much longer? And he's like, no. I'm like, exactly. I don't know. We landed <laughs> so, ten hours, so that's all I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, relax. Yeah, it was it was funny. Um, uh, I've I've got so many stories. So let me know if I need to stop. But like, uh, we we flew a global for a guy whose friends all had challengers, and they would often get jealous of his global right so but they're always like hey you know we can do what you do for half the price <laughs> and you know as a smart wealthy person it's your job to to make expert financial decisions so he's like okay maybe we should get a challenger and we're all like all the pilots are like no 
we're going to all quit if we do that. But anyway, um, I was like, why don't you, why don't you take a ride with your friends? See how it is. So we, we did a bunch of trips with those guys. They're always around with us. And, uh, <laughs> we did this one hour, maybe even 45 minute flight. Peru's insane. It's like in Lima, it's right on the ocean, but just off the coast, of the Andes start and they go up to 20 something thousand feet. Um, and there's always insane thunderstorms over there year round. Um, it's a very interesting place to fly. The temperature inversion is crazy. I've seen like 120 degrees at like 5,000 feet. And then on the ground, it's, it's 72. And there's always a marine. It, that's what keeps this crazy marine layer. It's, it, it's very interesting. So, but that really affects your performance. Not a problem in the global, but in the challenger, it is. So they're stuck in like the mid thirties usually. When you say and challenger, so, you're talking about the 600 series. Or yeah, like, this was a 600 yeah, series. Okay. Um, obviously. Yeah, I was gonna say I was like, um, if we're talking about performance, I, we're talking about the 600s for sure. Yeah. Um. So they took we took their kids and and they went in the Challenger for this 45 minute flight, and we were up above it all at 45, having a good time, smoothest flight ever. We get down and we land right after them, and they they come up to the stairs and they're just like pale white, and the the clients was like that was the worst flight of our life. We will never be getting a challenge. <laughs> so anyway, get it. this is product placement for the Bombardier Global. Go get yourself one. Hi guys. <laughs> you get a little channel. referral fee. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What are your thoughts on global versus global versus Gulfstream? Ooh, ooh. Um, I'm gonna be honest, man. The global's way better. Really? Uh, from a pilot standpoint. Uh, the global vision. I've flown both the classic and the vision. So the classic's got like the old school tubes kind of cockpit situation. And the vision is just like the extreme sexy, like fusion Collins display of just pure, incredible stuff. And I think even the 650 doesn't touch that. Um, haven't been on the new awesome sevens you know, all the touchscreen Gulfstream. So I'm sure that's literally groundbreaking. But uh, uh, Global's kind of got a bad rap in the beginning because they were the first plane to be like super uh, electronic. So everything's basically like hands off the first 15 minutes. You start up the APU, you don't touch anything. It's got virtual circuit breakers and a bunch of built-in tests. And if any one of those things are slightly <laughs> out of whack in the initial part of the program, of the global program, it would just not lock that system out, fail it, and say, hey, you're not going flying. But basically, all you do is shut it off, unplug the batteries, replug, you know, wait two minutes, replug them in, start it up just like a computer, reboot it, and that almost always fix the issues. Now, they more or less um, are great with the, you know, 6,000, 5,000 vision, the 55 and 6,500s that are coming out now. Um, those are a little more robust and it's, I think, fixed most of the, the weird computer issues. Um, and when you get from that point, you know, thinking about, uh, from a customer standpoint, I mean, my experience is only on a 550. Um, global's insanely quiet. You can hear a pin drop. The gear comes up and, you have to whisper to the other pilot because your clients in the back can hear everything you're saying. 
Um, whereas the 550 is like a the gear comes down and it's like Armageddon, dude. It's like the, the horsemen of the apocalypse are there. You know, people are screaming, children are crying. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just because it's the Gulfstream's been like a e- constant evolution from the G1, right? So the one, two, three, four, five, five fifties, all based on the same basic, you know, um, I don't know, model. And because of that, you know, they did a great job. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, it's not as kind of refined. But I think with the 650, they changed that. But the 650, you know, that was Gulfstream's first big move into a lot of electronic stuff. Um, and they have a lot of similar issues to the early globals and that stuff would just not work because it's so electronic. Um, that's the nice thing about the 550. It's, it's so robust and, you know, manual AF. It's the same engines as the global, more or less. But, you know, you got to press three buttons to turn it on because someone in the Air Force was like, Yo, I want to be able to go if we're being shot by whoever our current enemy is. Um, I want to be able to go regardless of computer stuff. You know, globally, you just press one switch, you know, turns it on. Um, but, you know, that's just a pilot laziness standpoint because we got to complain about something. Oh, I got to I gotta press three switches to turn on the same daggum engine instead of one. <laughs> I feel like I can picture the person that you're trying to talk or yeah. trying to talk like. His name is Jerry and he hates his life. He hates his wife. <laughs> and he just honestly is better off dead. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. In, in my limited experience for now, global, um, throw me in a nice touchscreen G700. I'm sure I'll, I'll love that. I'll say but, you might like, you might love life then for sure. <laughs> Yeah. The other thing is, hey, whatever pays the bills, man, I'll fly this Pilatus till I die if the pay is right, you know? So that's another, a lot of people tend to chase shiny jets, right? And I get that, especially in the corporate world. Another cool, you know, positive aspect of that is you're always flying the, the cutting edge in terms of, you know, avionics and flight deck stuff. Um, airlines, you know, you're flying stuff from the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, but, you know, now with the C-Series, uh, another shout-out to Bombardier, right? Or, you know, the A220. You know, they're finally getting into the current century or the 787. But, uh, as you know, all those shortcuts Boeing takes. And, I mean, Airbus, too, in terms of keeping everything standard, as to not confuse the, you know, lowly airline pilot who, heaven forbid, has to learn an extra thing or two save some money for the airline. <laughs> um, so you're stuck kind of flying older stuff. Um, whereas well, in a corporate, you're flying. It's a big reason. I mean, I don't really want to go to the airlines, but it's a big reason why I don't want to go to the airlines is the avionics. It's like, I'm flying a G5000 right now. It's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to reduce my avionics, you know? It's like, I mean, it might sound dumb, but it's like, I love how Garmin has it all laid out and just a touchscreen and everything. It's like, I'm not trying to go way back in time to like the 70s, like you said. Yeah, oh, there's a light on. Hold on, let me look at the overhead panel to figure out what it might be and then use my vast system knowledge to troubleshoot this. I mean, with with us, man, you just, bing, the light comes on. Okay, cool, run a checklist, boom, turn it off, you're done. Yeah, and a lot of times <laughs> um, that which, checklist pops you know, up on your screen as well. <laughs> it's like, what checklist are we in? Oh, the one that yeah. just popped up, okay. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, it makes us 
I mean, so lazy. I think pilots are the laziest, most useless people. And honestly, I can't wait till we're obsolete. <laughs> I can. I want to at least retire first. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm all about no pilots in the flight deck. That's not just kidding. <laughs> um, no, that screws me for sure. But I mean, another, you know, thing to consider down the road. What are we going to do with that? One nice thing about the airlines or maybe your job is you got union protection. Yeah. So, you know, once that starts happening, at least they'll pay you a lot of money. Um, for me, I'll just be kicked to the curb and my dog and I will be on the street in Hollywood begging for, I don't know, oat milk for my latte. <laughs> you can live in your RV, though. So that's cool, right? There's a smaller RV than most people's. Van's RV, yeah, it's tiny. Only, yeah, I got to take the seats out. Start a YouTube channel. That. You'll be set. You live, live in my hangar. <laughs> yeah, you'll be set, man. I don't know what you're complaining about. Yeah. You'll be fine. Hey, guys. Welcome to my channel. This is how I poop at the airport without anyone noticing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I got some rapid fire questions for you. And now it is time for the rapid fire section. Today's rapid fire section is sponsored by Sirius XM Aviation. With high resolution coast to coast composite radar and cloud to cloud, cloud to ground lightning updated every 2.5 minutes, along with always available weather products like METARs, Echo Tops, and Storm Tracks. Sirius XM lets you fly confidently knowing that your weather information is available at 500 feet or at your destination 500 miles ahead. Check out aopa.org forward slash Sirius XM to get a two-month free trial to try these products out for yourself. So these are just um, very simple questions. There's like 12 of them and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Sound good? They're all aviation themed. Nothing crazy. Let's do it. What's your favorite airplane ever made? Oh, MD-11. What about a corporate jet? G seven hundred. What? A, but you love globals. <laughs> I mean, look at the G seven hundred, man. I mean, but look at the Falcon though. The one was the Falcon ten oh, X. That thing's sick, right? Yeah, life flat crew seats with yeah, a that is nice red wine holder for you to relax. I mean, hey, if yes, uh, they yeah. approve it in our SOPs that we can drink some wine, then so be it, right? It is a French aircraft. You should always be able to drink wine whilst you fly. <laughs> that is what really is the one little taste? I love it. What about a small piston plane? Ooh. Tough, tough question. Uh, turbo 210 um, for utility, but man, RV4 for everything else. I am not a 210 fan. I've never flown one, but just, I hate Cessna's retractable gear. I think it is the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life, and I will make it a point in my life to never fly one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's insane. It's the, the the dumbest thing ever, and that's why I love it because there's a great chance it's going to kill you, and I love that. Oh, you know, I enough. love living on the edge. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I like it. Hey, I respect it. <laughs> What's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen in your life? Hmm. Man, that's 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 a. I mean, I say the Piaggio. Strata, if that Strata helps. launch, Strata launch is like pretty ugly. Yeah, that's pretty ugly. I think that like an air coupe is pretty ugly. Yes. Shorts <laughs> are uh, very ugly. Oh, shorts, but they're thick. You know, thick is in now, so you can't diss on the thick girls. <laughs> I, I've hilarious. got a, a strange sweet sweet just love of shorts i have no idea they've almost killed a few friends of mine but for some reason i just am really into them 
I was landing in the Dominican Republic and we we're behind someone on their check ride and their engine failed and they declared an emergency. <laughs> the dude yeah. followed me on Instagram and I was like, Oh, I hope that dude's right. He's like, Oh, that was me. I passed. <laughs> had to go take the other one. That <laughs> also yeah. just had an engine failure. It's like, why don't we just not fly shorts anymore? It's like, we, yeah, I, I don't know what you're putting it's just in that, the, but the nature. Yeah. That's just the nature of the Caribbean, man. It, yes. All those crazy operations out of like South Florida, anything South Florida related generally shouldn't exist. Uh, that's a, my hot take. You know, I but won't. I won't agree or disagree with what you're saying. I'll leave that up for interpretation for someone else. Yeah. Here's oh my a, god. Here's another <laughs> one for you. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? Like it could be. It doesn't have to be someone that's alive today. It could be like Orville and Wilbur Wright. It could be Chuck Yeager. It could be I don't know someone on in TikTok that you like. But whoever, who's one person in the industry you'd like to meet most? <laughs> Fly with K. There you go. You know what's really funny about that is that my, um, I almost called her my niece. My sister-in-law just messaged me today saying that I need to interview her. <laughs> that is really random that you said that. That was a joke. Oh, I really? That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love res- it. Respect the hustle. Yeah. <laughs> but man, that's, that's, I think I'd want to meet like the test pilots for all the crazy shit just going on in the 60s. Um, I can't think of any of their names off the top of my head because I'm not a very smart person, but... Um, like Neil Armstrong when I he was think, like doing test flights and stuff like that? Yeah, cooler than Neil. I want like the SR-71 people. Oh, there you go. So like cooler than the person that's landed on the moon, right? Yeah, I mean, they never went to the moon. You know that's all fake, right? <laughs> Uh, weird side tangent. There's someone a few hangers down for me, uh, who is a staunch, like crazy conspiracy theorist guy. And just like every day I see him, he's always there every day. And he's like, you know, we never went to the moon and the earth is flat and chemtrails are poisoning the fucking, sorry, the, the world. And he's a pilot. And I'm like, okay. Anyway, that's it's my like, story. Nice to see you, Bill. We'll see you later. <laughs> You coming to the cookout right, tomorrow? Chuck, yeah. yeah. See you around now. I'm that's sure funny. you get to fly with your share of uh, interesting people. From- oh, we all do. <laughs> that's for sure. I'm actually lucky right now to be flying with. That's the other thing about corporate, man. You're stuck with the same people. Um, if you're not working for a big, big company, you're stuck with the same, you know, three to five people. And uh, hopefully they don't suck because that could make or break your deal. Right. Absolutely. Um, I looked it up, by the you way. Have to- for the SR-71 test pilot, you'd want to meet Robert J. Bob Gilliland. Yeah, what about the XB-70 guy that died? <laughs> they crashed that. Actually, another fun uh, random story is I've got a friend who some people may know, Jesse Flies, on Instagram out of Camarillo. He's obsessed with the XB-70, which is, if you don't know it, this ancient, extremely large, like, canard air force plane that is hard to really categorize and he was like let's go to the crash site and see if we can find some pieces and it's out near barstow which is near daggett vor for you flyboys out there um so i flew out there in my rv and another friend drove his like off-road isuzu and like met us and we went out into the desert and i'm generally uh how, how can i say this unenthusiastic about nerdy things like that. I, I, I was like, 
I was over it. It was windy. It was hot. I was just like, this sucks. I don't really want to be here. I'm, I, I, I am a very apathetic person generally, <laughs> as some of my friends might tell you. And so I'm like, okay, whatever, let's do this. So we literally get to like the, the there's a little memorial out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. And I step out of this Isuzu and step on a piece of something. And I like take it out of the dirt. And it's, a, I don't know, probably two or three inch piece of titanium honeycomb from the XB70. Oh, dang, that's crazy. That's prob- probably worth hundreds of dollars. That's staring at me right now for my shelf. And I, cool. I found like the, you know, these guys brought shovels and metal detectors and they're, they're ready to like go dig for some cool pieces. And here I am just like apathetically stepping out of the car, like just having to step on it. And now it's mine and I have it forever. And it's probably, probably going to kill me. I feel like anything from the sixties in an airplane is probably going to kill you. There's a good chance. There's a, there's a decent yeah. chance about that. That's funny that you, you step on it. You're like, all right, guys, you ready to go home? I got what I wanted. So let's, yeah, let's balance. I, yeah, yeah. I'm out. Yeah. We <laughs> That's leave the whatever. thing we found all day. That's funny. Uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, all right. I got a couple more for you. Uh, what's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Mm. I, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Something I wish I knew. A lot of people to say how expensive it is. And I guess for you, it'd be what you actually found out, but how you can save $30,000 by training where you trained. (laughs) Yeah, I actually got extremely lucky. I I spent almost, I think I spent about 30 grand on my training total, which is insane. That's awesome. Um, That's another thing we could talk about if you like, but I, I already knew how expensive it was, but something I wish I knew was how, um, I don't know. I wish I knew how lucky I was in my early career. You know, I, I, I was so fortunate to, to, I, I hopped, you know, I was flying skydivers for a yearish, hopped into some Learjets and Falcons and quickly from there hopped into G4 with, with like no, no flight time, no business doing that. You know, I was just turned 24. <laughs> I was like, and then, you know, 10 months later I was on a global, I was like, what is this? And then a year after that, I'm on this sick 91 account where I had a schedule for the whole year. And that whole time I was like, yeah, this is normal. This is cool. (laughs) And now, you know, dealing with COVID and going to the airlines, coming back and, and, you know, trying to get my friends jobs. It's so hard even now to, to find that that cool corporate gig. And I basically just like walked into all this stuff. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's a testament of my beautiful smile or whatever it might be, but, um, it's so difficult unless you know the right people to, to fall into something really good. You know, you, you can always hop around in corporate, but, and you know, eventually you'll probably have to, that's the thing, right? You got to always be ready to, to hop to the next better opportunity. Um, but now trying to, to find friends jobs, man, it's like, you know, yeah, there's always crappy charter jobs available, but I, I never realized how lucky I was for my career progression until honestly the last year or so. I was like, man, this, I mean, a lot of people have to spend their whole lives in like a Citation X. <laughs> they're lucky yeah. to fly that even, you know, Absolutely. a Bravo or something, you know, slow an ultra. Yeah. yeah. And, um, 
you know, I, I've always tried to be humble about that at least. Um, but it really kind of shifted my perspective the last year watching people struggle, you know, um, everyone's getting furloughed and they're hitting me up like, Hey, is there corporate stuff? And I'm like, well, first of all, no one wants to hire an airline. Furloughed. Yeah. Um, anyway, leave. yeah, that's, uh, kind of what I, I wish, yeah, I wish I had the hindsight kind of to see how lucky I was because yeah. I've been afforded some incredible opportunities that I'm very thankful for. And so now my job is to help other people get to that, that point. So, it's good. you know, I've got tons of people trying to be like, Hey, how, can I do this? Can I do that? I'm like, sure you can. Let me help you. So my job now is to do that. One of my last questions for you is, so obviously you knew pretty fast that you didn't want to do the airlines, but we know we've talked about it. Everyone always says airlines, airlines, airlines. You're not going to be the only person that goes to airlines and is like, wait, this sucks. Like, I don't like it. What do you recommend to someone in that situation? Um, a lot of people put up with it and they can find some happiness. You know, they get used to the routine, they get used to it and they can, they can learn to somewhat enjoy it, but it still doesn't fulfill them like their last job did. But what do you recommend to them to make the right decision for them? And, and how would you recommend that? Um, this goes to one of my main kind of points of advice. Whenever people ask me for advice, I tell them, hey, everyone's going to tell you a bunch of stuff. But it's up to you to know what's right for you. Just because someone did it this certain way or, or not doesn't mean you have to do it. Everyone has their own unique path. And I think it's your job to to be well-informed as to the best option, but also just follow your heart and do what's best for you. And having said that, um, everyone's got a unique situation, a unique path to walk in both their career and in their life. And only you know the, the right answer. I knew the answer for me. And you got to find what's right for you. I think that airlines make it easy down the road if you're going to have a family, if you're going to, you know, do that stuff. A lot of young people aren't really thinking about that. Like, Hey, whatever, I'm 25. I want to have fun, but Hey, you know, 30 hits 35, 40. And you're like, Oh, maybe that's what I want to do. I'm, you know, I, I'm gay. So no, no accidents here. Can't just, uh, just waltz into a family without really trying. So I've got that blessing. Maybe you could say, <laughs> but, uh, um, I think, at the end of the day, only you, you know, your unique set of needs. And if, you know, the money's good, if you can handle the schedule, do it. If, if you find yourself miserable and, you know, you're someone like me, let's say that really gets their sense of, of well-being, happiness and, and usefulness to the world from actually making a difference in what, you know, whatever that means to you, <laughs> in my case, flying corporate, do that. I, I think it's just important to listen to yourself because you know deep down what's right for you. Um, you know, you get in a relationship, you get married, and your needs change, and it's important to think about that, I think, for the future. And that's kind of where my mindset was when I was leaving my push global job. I was like, hey, man, and, and in 10, 20 years, I'm probably going to just want to do nothing um, and fly. You know, every airline has their way of 
beating the system to work less for more money. Um, so just find that and do it. <laughs> but I found out pretty quick that that wasn't working for me. So it's like, hey, no, glad I tried it. I wouldn't change my path for anything because I gained so much knowledge and experience and met so many great people along the way. Um, but I knew deep down that what, what made me thrive, what made me happy was different. And so I went with that. So follow your heart. Um, granted, you know, you have needs, you know, once you get a family, your, your needs change and it's important to not be kind of, uh, naive you know, early on in your career and to, to respect that, Hey, down the road, I might be feeding more than myself. And if, if that means taking one for the team and being miserable at work, so you can make way more money and have more time with your family. Hey, that's a, a thought you have to have yourself. I know that maybe I'm selfish, <laughs> but uh, I know that I want to travel the world and, have a good time doing it. And I don't think that's as easy at the airlines. You know, you might spend 20, you, you might be lucky to have a 36 hour layover in London. Okay, great. Uh, a day of that is getting, you know, fixing your jet lag somehow. I mean, good luck. It really takes like three days to adjust at least. And then it's time to go back. So um, I just was at the point where I was like, you know, even if I hop to, you know, some big heavy jet at United, let's say, out of LA. Cool. But I'll, I'll be on reserve for whatever, <laughs> 10 years. Because <laughs> um, I love international flying. That's a thing for me, right? I, I love long, super long range, you know, flying over oceans. That to me brings me joy as much as it is painful at the other end, you know, when, <laughs> when you're up for 24 hours and you're like, oh my God. Uh, but it's just that crazy, tired feeling of, hitting that hotel room in whatever Spain and being like, man, I made it happen. I'm here. And then now I'm here for a week or two and you get to really enjoy it, I think. And, and kind of take in a lot more than if you were just flying there for 24 hours or 36 hours, what, what have you. Absolutely. Well, Nick, my kid's about to come in here for a diaper change. So it's going to get really loud. So I, <laughs> I got to wrap it up. But I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. It's really cool to talk to someone that's kind of, you know, had that great corporate job that you're talking about and then took the leap to try the airlines for for the reasons that you stated and you realize it wasn't for you. A lot of people stick with that and stay there and they'll be miserable their whole career. But you went back, you're able to find another great job and you're living your dream, man. I think that's really cool. And, and I love that you want to inspire uh, the future generation. So keep doing that. And uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. It's been great being here and I'm always happy to try to help or talk to anyone that's up and coming. Just hit slide in my DMs and I always try to respond if you're not being creepy. Right. That's a uh, big just don't be creepy, man. Why why you gotta be creepy? Yeah. But cool. if you're not if you're cool, man, I'm always happy to help. It doesn't Absolutely. matter, you know. I've I've helped people from like tweens to to people in their fifties who are like, Hey, I hate my job, I wanna be a pilot. Um, so I'm happy to help. I'm happy to talk to you. If you're in LA, man, find me and let's go fly. Let's inspire the next generation, but it's great to be here. Go change your diapers and, uh, I'll see you on the road. I hope your next crew meal doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it probably will, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> oh, it's always uh, harsh, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Aviation, that's a wrap on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Shout out to Nick for just figuring out, like I said, airlines weren't for him. Came back, corporate side, living his dream. I love to hear it. Uh, I'm all for people trying out different facets of the aviation industry. It's just so cool to see what you can do and how you can build your time and how people just, some people don't want to fly the airlines. Some people do. Uh, It's a personal choice and you go after whatever you want to go after and just have fun doing it and be a good person. It's not that hard. But Aviation, I hope you're having a great day. Like I said, we're moving right now. Uh, I got a screaming baby I got to go take care of. And then uh, I'll be recording the next intro. So I hope everyone's having a great day. And as always, happy flying.